Hey, good morning. How are we doing? Good morning. Uh, well, my name is Joey Tisdale. Welcome to Summit. Uh, if you were brand new this week, we're glad you're here. Uh, if, if you're coming back from last week, uh, thanks for trusting us again with your time on a Thursday morning. I think, honestly, I think this is one of our sweetest things that uh, we as God's men meet uh, to talk about God's Word. You know, I think as we spend time in here and look at truth, and then we go into our small groups, it's like, man, what can we learn? How can our spines be strengthened? How can we collectively be God's men and spur one another on uh, just as, as men? Uh, and so for us, uh, if you're here brand new this fall, we're trucking through Judges. Uh, if you're anything like me, I look at this book and I go, pretty dark. What are we doing here? Uh, how is this supposed to be encouraging? What's going to be positive in this? And I think as we examine the book, as we spend uh, the next several weeks looking at God's word, we're going to go, man, there are some incredibly encouraging things that we see in God's truth in this book. And so last week, uh, Blake gave us a little bit of an overview. Hey, where are we going? What is Judges about? Even pointed us to uh, that Bible Project video. I cannot endorse those videos enough. They are so helpful, so encouraging, and so clarifying. So if you weren't here last week, uh, just Google that, Bible Project. Project, judges overview uh, and catch yourself up to speed there. And so today uh, we're going to hop right in chapters one and two and creep into three. And, and what we're going to see is, is God has a, a pretty clear message throughout the book of Judges that yes, we are sinful, that we are men who are broken and depraved. Uh, but when we keep the main thing, the main thing, it goes well with us. And so Excited to be with y'all this morning. Uh, I like to think they put me on the front end so that you'd forget about me later in the, the coming weeks with the better speakers, but I'm excited to be with y'all today. And so let me do this. I'm going to pray and we're literally going to hit the ground running. Okay. God, thanks for today. Thanks for, for your love for us that, that we get to join together in, in fellowship, that we get to, to sit in a room early on a Thursday morning and talk about your truth. Talk about what you've done for us, how you've redeemed us, how you've rescued us. You've called us by name. You've made us yours. And now what? What do we do with that? What do we do with salvation? What's our response after that? How do we, how do we follow you? How do we walk in obedience and really live out this faith that you call us to? And so Lord, I pray you bless this time. I pray that as I speak, that as I look at your truth, uh, that this wouldn't be about me, that everything would be about you, that it would be about your love and your, your grace in each of our lives. And so bless this time. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Uh, well, nine months ago, uh, my wife and I welcomed into the world our firstborn. Uh, his name is Faden Wells, and he is already a little terror. I love him, uh, but the dads in the room, you're going, oh, you're only nine months in. Just wait. It's going to get that much better. And so, uh, obviously, uh, I'm learning a lot right now. I am learning so much about uh, being a dad, being a husband while being a dad. I'm learning a lot of different lessons of what it looks like to steward this gift that God has given me. And so about three, I guess almost four weeks ago now, I got what I referred to as the call. And some of you dads are going to understand exactly where I'm going in a second. But I get a call uh, after lunch from my wife, and I hear two things. I hear screaming, and then I hear tears. The screaming was coming from my son. With all of his might, I mean, I don't know what's going on, but I hear his screams, and they're almost louder than my wife's voice. And I hear her, a worn out, a tired soul, who's just going, man, is this worth it? And so, of course, I go into dad mode. I'm husband of the year. I'm going, babe, what's going on? Is he okay? Like, is everybody okay? What happened? Did somebody break in? And she's like, no, he's fine. Everything's fine. He's healthy. Like, he's just crying. He's not content. 
He continues to scream, I haven't gotten a thing done today. I haven't got to spend time with the Lord. There's been no peace, no quiet, no serenity in the house at all. And so, of course, I'm still like, oh, I'm the encourager here. Babe, you got this. You, you've lived for this moment. God has blessed us with a son, and this is a blessing. And my wife's going, the screams are not a blessing. This is terrible. I can't do it. And, of course, I'm continuing to perpetuate. No, babe, this is a blessing. It's a blessing. Continue to re realize that God has gifted us. And she goes, you're not hearing me. It's not really that I can't do it. It's that I don't want to. And the conversation shifted. And in that moment, I was like, oh my, that, you are a sinful human, my, my lady. And side note, she knows I'm telling this story. It's okay. Uh, so save me. Um, but the conversation shifted. And I was like, oh my gosh. My wife just said she doesn't want to deal with my son. And in that moment, she was just exposing her sin and her flesh and her brokenness and it's not that she had poor expectations or bad desires, but she was just going, I want my desires met. I want my needs met. I want my expectations met. I would like a little peace and quiet. And I, I, I realized that as I reflect on that conversation, I go, oh my gosh, she's not uniquely sinful or terminally ill. She's just like you and me, that we all have desires and longings and we want things and ultimately, we choose that over a lot of things that God calls us to every single week. God's going, hey, you keep saying you can't, but it's really that you're just declaring to me, the God of your salvation, that you don't want to. And that for me is startling. I, I mean, it's terrifying for me because I go, man, God, how often do I say I don't want your best for me? I don't want to walk in obedience because I would rather go down this path for this desire, for this longing. That's terrifying to me. And it should be alarming for all of us in this room that we would choose God's best, over, or we would choose what we think is best over God's best. And I start there today because when we look at Judges, that's what we're going to see in Israel. We see this massive spiral and decline of the Israelites. That even though God has given them his covenant, he's like, I've made these promises to you. I have your best interests in mind. The Israelites go, but I'm going to choose my way. I'm going to choose what I think is best. Why? Because I think it's best. I would rather live for this than to live for you. And I think what we have to realize in the room today, that's us. Even in light of God's promises in our lives, we choose to settle for something less than his best. We choose to go our own way. We choose to live in the moment rather than to live for eternity in obedience. So where we are today, as we head into chapters one and two, we're going to see, hey, there's, there's an idolatry here. They, they have given partial obedience to the Lord that leads to idolatry that ultimately ends in slavery. Why? Because they have forgotten the Lord. That there's this new generation that no longer remembers the precious promises of God and said, I'm going to go my own way. Because contextually, we're, we're coming out of Joshua, that, that God has given the land to them. Through Joshua, they've gained success, and he says, hey, the last thing you need to do is just drive out the inhabitants of the land. Every man, woman, child, just get rid of them. Because what I have in store for you is better, but don't take part in their child sacrifice, their worship, their moral corruption, the false gods, the false idols that they have, just get rid of all of it. And if you do that, you're going to experience my best. 
But the problem is, is they have to trust the Lord with that. They have to be obedient to him. And if you look at Judges 21, 25, there's, this is the key verse for the entirety of Judges. It just says, in those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. This sets the precedent for, for where we're going over the next few weeks because everybody believed what they were doing was better than what God had in store for them. They're going, hey, I see that you're promising me abundant life. I see that you're promising me a land, seed, and blessing from Genesis 12 and 15. But what I want is what I see right there. What I want is to mingle in the inhabitants of the land. You know, that, that false god over there seems kind of sexy. These women are more attractive than the women you've given us. And so how do I live in that tension? You might be going, how is this relevant to us today? All of this is relevant. Because I think if we see this, we go, hey, God wants the entirety of the Israelites' hearts. He says, walk with me in obedience in the same way he wants our hearts today. He says, if you are claiming to be God's man, then walk as God's man. Be obedient. Be someone who surrenders to his will. Not to create our own will for our own lives. But to go, in obedience, I will follow him. Why? Because his plan is better. Because if we don't believe that a life of full obedience and surrender to the Lord is worth it or enough, we will do just like the Israelites did. We'll do whatever we think is right in our own eyes. And where we see that take them is destruction. We see it take them into slavery. This is a message for us today. Stop trusting in your own promises and listen to the Lord in obedience. And so we're going to truck through chapters 1, 2, and just the first part of 3. And I, I want to say, I've seen three things in the text. And I want us to walk away with this, remembering this. This is how it applies to us today. The first being partial obedience is not obedience. It's disobedience. The second, idolatry leads to slavery. And the third, freedom is found in obedience. So we're going to touch on those three things. The first one, partial obedience is disobedience. This is true in Judges 1, moving up 1 through 2, about 6, that we see the Israelites only operate in partial obedience. I think this is true of all of us in some regard every day. How does that play out? Well, man, God, I see my need for you. I see my depravity. I need you. You have my life. I surrender 100% of me to you. But then what we do is we start to examine God's word. We start to listen to the spirit. We start to count the costs. And we go, maybe, I, maybe I'm not content with giving you 100% of my life. Maybe it's like 90%. I'll give you full access to 90% of my life, but not this 10. You know what? 90 is generous. Why don't we go to 80? There's 10 to 20% of my life that I don't want to give to you. Why? Because that means I have to change things. There's pieces of my life that I have to get rid of because they are direct disobedience to you. We say things like this. Hey, you can have all of my life, but I still want control over my money. You can have all of my life, but I still want the pornography. It's not hurting anybody else. You can have all of my life, but I still want to go home and pop the top and get a little buzz because it helps me to feel something and it numbs the pain from the rest of the day. You can have everything else but those things. Don't micromanage me, God. I have a life to live. And God's going, I, I've given you the life to live. Will you walk in obedience? And so when we look at the Israelites, we see, man, 
All they were called to do is drive out the inhabitants. That was it. God's given them the land through Joshua's success. Drive out the inhabitants. So what do they do? They choose not to. Specifically, a verse, it just says, Judges 128 says, It came about, Israel became strong, that they put the Canaanites to forced labor, but they did not drive them out completely. That's just the first one. Judges 129, then Ephraim did not, Zebulon did not, Asher did not, Naphtali did not. Literally 10 different times, the author goes, hey, you didn't do what you were supposed to do. And that's simply to walk in obedience. Simply be God's man. You see, they were okay with having God in the picture. It's kind of like he's on the shelf. God, you give me this land, but I want to mingle in the things that you told me not to take part in. You told me to drive it out, but I want to mingle. I want to stay here. These things look good. They look enticing. What can I take part in? You see, the implications here for us are enormous. It's not, man, I have eternal life, so let me, let me live my best life now. I'll mingle in the land. God's going, no, I've given you eternal life. Now walk in obedience because the life that I've given you is not found there. You see, the last part of this point is that there's no such thing as partial obedience. We are either obedient or we're not. I can't say, man, God, I, I didn't look at porn. I only lusted after her. I didn't sleep with her. We just hooked up. It's like, that's not obedience. You can't justify our sin by saying, I didn't go the next step. God's going to say, you're still walking in obedience or disobedience. You're walking in disobedience. We have to walk in complete obedience. So partial obedience is not obedience. It is disobedience. The second thing I see in this text is just idolatry leads to slavery. We pick up in verse 6 of chapter 2 and move through uh, into chapter 3. Uh, there are enormous idols in every single one of our lives. We look at the Israelites and we go, man, how did they bow down to the, the idols there? And God goes, each and every one of us has idols. I think if we took 30 seconds, I, I need zero. I've, got, I've already got a list to think, hey, if I lost something today, would it ruin my day? Would it ruin my week? Would it ruin my year? Everybody feel like you got one? There's something in your life that's taking control that you feel like, hey, I can't get rid of this. What if we put some more parameters on this? Uh, a buddy of mine gave me this example yesterday. When my wife doesn't approve of me, it ruins my day. She's my idol. What about your role at work? It's not that you lose your job, but hey, maybe I've been demoted to something that I think is inferior than what is best. That's an idol. For me, in full transparency, this stage, if I didn't get to speak on another stage ever again, I'd probably be devastated. Why? Because I can idolize the platform God gave me, instead of being grateful for how he's using me. That God has given me a platform to trust, uh, to entrust me to steward well. But if I idolize that, if it's removed, it removes the false joy that I had in getting to stand up here and talk about God's truth. We all have idols. And how to define it? I would just say anything that controls you, anything. Anything that controls you apart from God is an idol. It's us taking a good thing and making it ultimate as if it is Lord in our life. God's going, hey, I give you good things, but I don't give you good things to be enslaved to. I give you good things to enjoy them. 
Fantasy football, that's great. Just don't be enslaved to it. Saturday morning golf, that's great. Just don't be enslaved to it. The stock market, that's great. Just don't be enslaved to it. For me, I can allow the stock market, when it's evident flowing, to dictate my emotions. Oh, man, we don't have as much money today. It's like, dang, there's where my hope is. There's where I put my, my stock. My idolization is there. If it controls us, it is an idol in our lives. I think we hold on because we think that it will give us life, it will serve us, and it will sustain us. But God says, hey, never, these good things never meant to be a piece of slavery for you. It was meant to be a blessing. Keller put it this way in his book, when we serve an idol, we come into an intense relationship with it, which it uses us, but it does not truly care for us. We become completely vulnerable to it, little more than a slave. And so we see that the idols in our life continue to enslave us. Why? Because they control us. We don't want to get rid of it. Therefore, we become a slave to it rather than being served by it. You go, well, how did this, how does this happen with the Israelites? It's a slow drift. Their idolatry was comfort, ease, convenience, better food, better water, better leader. They're trucking through the wilderness. God, where is our comfort? Where is our ease? And they're grumbling because they had placed an idolatry onto those things rather than going, God, you are enough. We see them make idols out of everything that they took part in because they saw their situation as negative when it didn't align with how they thought God would act for them. Keller put it this way, that commitment is replaced by complacency and then compromise. I think that's what happened to the Israelites. They're trucking through the wilderness and they get tired. Their commitment to the Lord starts to dwindle and they start to get complacent. They start to grumble and then they're going, you know what? Whatever comes to me, I'll take it. I'll compromise there. I am okay with it. And God goes, that's exactly how it happens. We get tired and our commitment disappears and then we grow complacent and then we're willing to compromise. That's how we all end up in slavery. Comfort and convenience often trump obedience because they're easy. We have to be watchful and we have to be on guard. Where does it take the, the Israelites? Judges 2, 13 and 14, it says, so they forsook the Lord and served Baal and Asherah. The anger of the Lord burned against them and he gave them into the hands of plunderers who plundered them and he sold them into the hands of their enemies around them so that they could no longer stand before their enemies. The Israelites were willing to hold on to anything. And God goes, hey, you're willing to hold on to that even in spite of me going, hey, I've got your promises in hand. Do you trust me with them? Do you trust me with your life? Do you trust me to provide for you in the best way possible? Israel may not have verbalized it, but by the actions, they said, no. We would rather take part in this slavery than to trust and obey you. And God goes, okay, then I'm gonna leave them with you. I'm gonna leave the idols that you serve as an oppressive enemy over you. For me in my life in college playing ball, I got a lot of affirmation. Hey, you're a great athlete. You're good at working out. The reality was, is I was an average athlete. I'm obviously on, on this stage, not uh, on a professional basketball court, okay? So that means I'm average. But I lived and died by the affirmation that people gave me. That's what we see with the Israelites. They died by the idols that they had in their life. 
You see, it wasn't that I was addicted to the gym or that I was addicted to the game. I was addicted to the affirmation that was manifested through that avenue. And so for me, I had to realize that my idol was affirmation. It wasn't sports. It wasn't working out. I still work out today. Why? Because I got a nine-month-old and I refuse to have a dad bod. And that is a weird phrase in and of itself. But I ultimately... I want to have a healthy view of working out because it's me stewarding my body for the Lord's glory. And I'm able to run and I'm able to have fun. Not that I get recognition for it. Because if I, if I live by their applause, I'm going to die by their rejection. But God goes, hey, I've accepted you completely. What I have in store for you is better. And I think that's the third thing I see in this text. What I have for you is better, but you have to trust me. You see, the Israelites, they experienced this firsthand. Instead of trusting him, they pursued their own desires. They said, that's better. What he has over there in the land, that's better. For the Israelites, it meant giving up all that they had, their longings, their desires, what they were living for in order to trust him, but they weren't willing to do it. For us today, if we want to experience freedom, we walk in obedience. We give up things in our life that are actually idols. We give up the things that are wrecking our relationship with the Lord. They're wrecking our marriage. They're wrecking our relationships that we have with one another. Get rid of them. Why? Because it's an idol and it controls us and it dictates our joy. But when we choose to follow the Lord in obedience, we get to choose joy. It's an amazing blessing to follow God but when we think that him calling us to obedience is him ripping us off, we've missed it. First John 5 says, uh, this is God's love for us, that we follow his commandments, and they're not burdensome. He's not trying to rip us off. He's trying to set us free. He's going, hey, in obedience to me, I've given you fullness of life, but you have to obey my commands in, ex- in order to experience that freedom and that life. That's where the blessings are found. It's not that you're good and you get blessings. It's rather that I walk in obedience and I experience the blessing of getting to have a relationship with Christ. That I get to serve God in those ways. Because here's the sticky part. It's like, well, then what about the Israelites? Why did God leave them there? If he's calling them to obedience, why did he leave nations there to oppress them? And, And you're saying freedom, but it doesn't look like freedom. It looks like slavery. 2.21, 2.21, Judges 2.21 and 22, it says, I also will no longer drive out before them any of the nations which Joshua left when he died in order to test Israel by them, whether they would keep the way of the Lord or to walk in it as their fathers did or not. That's just a softer version of going, is your money where your mouth is? Are you going to obey me or not? Are you going to walk in freedom or are you going to continue to walk in slavery? You have a choice today. You as my people, you have a choice. Are you going to walk in obedience and experience the fullness of life? Or are you going to walk in slavery? Jesus wants every piece of our heart. He doesn't want bits and pieces there. He wants all of us. He calls us to obedience because we are his. He says, I want all of you because you're already mine. I love the way Abraham Kuyper puts it. He says, there's not a single square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not call, cry, mine. 
It's not because he's an obsessive dictator. It's because he obsesses over us in his love. He says, hey, I demonstrated my love for you that Christ died for you, the worst death possible so that you could have life. And now all I'm calling you to is obedience. Rid the things from your life that are keeping you from experiencing life in me. That's the God that we serve. He calls us to obedience. Why? Because freedom is found in surrendered obedience to him. Going back to that phone call, my wife, uh, she asked for the Lord's forgiveness, asked for my forgiveness, asked for my nine-month-old's forgiveness. He resounding yes all across the board. But she just goes, hey, I just need to be reminded of truth. I just need to be reminded that it was worth it. Worth it to endure the hard. Worth it to endure the trying times. Worth it to walk through the, through the wilderness in obedience, to drive out the inhabitants, to experience what God has in store for me because it's better. I think each of us in this room has to answer this question today. Is it worth it to surrender every piece of my life to Christ? And then the follow-up to that is just, if so, am I willing to do everything in obedience or not? And so remember these three things. Partial obedience is disobedience. It is not obedience. Our idolatry leads to our slavery. And lastly, that, that freedom is found in obedience. That when we walk in obedience with Christ, we experience the fullness that he has stored up for us. Let me pray for us. God, thanks for today. Thanks for, for your love for us. That, that Lord, you call us to obedience, not to rip us off or to enslave us. Um, but to set us free. That in our obedience to you, we get to experience the fullness of joy. And so, Lord, let us be those men today. Strengthen our spines as we go into small group time that we would be encouraged and spurred on to be your men. That we would ask hard questions, that we would, we would talk about the idols in our life, that we would bring it up so that men can hold us accountable. That we would be your men who are not willing to compromise, that we wouldn't grow weary in doing good, but that we would remain steadfast, immovable, unshakable, rooted in your love. So, Lord, we love you and, and we give our lives to you and we give the next hour to you as well. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.